Amen. Let me invite you to be seated at this point and to join me in prayer. And in light of what we've just sung and in light of the psalm that we're going to look at this morning, I want us to pray for a particular unreached people group this morning together. So let's bow and join me in this prayer. Father, we, we come before you this morning together, particularly those of us who are trusting in Christ alone as our only hope, as our only Savior, and who desire to follow him as our Lord. We come before you and we pray for the peoples of the earth. Particularly, we think of unreached people groups. And we pray, we pray, Father, that you would work, that you would work in us, that you would work in this congregation to send out more, to take the good news to those who have not heard it, and that you would help us as a church to give sacrificially, not only of our money, but also of our children, for the purpose of the nations being glad and knowing who Christ really is. God, we pray that you would do your work among us, and specifically today we think of one as an example of all of the unreached people groups in the world. We pray now for the Muslim Yao of Malawi. God, though they originated in Mozambique, but have migrated now to Malawi, we pray for this people group, more than two million people in this particular people group, and almost none of them with any certainty have come to hear or know about Jesus Christ. God, we pray for this group in southeastern Asia, and we know that because of things in history that have happened that they have intentionally insulated themselves against Christianity, and in the process that they have insulated themselves also against the only Savior. And so, Father, we pray for this people group, for these two million-plus people who have yet to hear the name of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would raise up those who would go and that they would be willing to take the time and the effort necessary to learn their language so that they might be more responsive to the gospel should they hear it. And Father, we also know that this group of people have very significant medical challenges, challenges in terms of nutrition, in terms of the HIV and AIDS virus, as well as malaria. God, we pray that maybe medical outreach and educational outreach would make a significant impact on this people group. And so, Father, we lift them to you, again, knowing that they represent thousands, likely thousands of distinct people groups throughout the world who have yet to hear the gospel. And we pray that you would help us and cause us as a church to prioritize being a blessing to the nations by taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who've never heard. God, we love you. Thank you for being so gracious to us Thank you for your salvation. 
Thank you that you have provided that through your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray today as we rejoice in that and as we think about the desire for the nations, the desire that you have for the nations to be glad that we would be motivated and live in a way that glorifies you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to take your Bibles now and turn to Psalm 67. We've only got a couple of more psalms in our series that we are in this summer and have been in this summer. 67 today, 68 the next week and then next week and then a couple of weeks later on the first Sunday of September 69 and then we go back to our fall schedule which means classes at 9 o'clock and then worship service at 10.30 rather than in the summer with no classes before the service and service at 10 o'clock. So that's coming. And as you prepare to follow along as I read through Psalm 67, I want to encourage you to think of two questions or think about two questions in light of the words that I'm about to read from Psalm 67. The first question is this, does God bless us ultimately that we might have or that we might give? I want you to think about that as we look at Psalm 67 this morning. And in connection with that, I want you to think about another question. Why has God's grace come to you? Why has God's grace come to you? If you are a person this morning who's trusting in Jesus Christ, I want you to think about that question as we look at this psalm. Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among the all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and, ju- and guide, rather, the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. I want you to notice four words as we begin that you find in Psalm 67. In verse 2, notice the word known. In verse 3, notice the word praise. In verse 4, notice the word joy. And then finally, in verse 7, notice the word fear. God's desire, God's intention is that people from among all nations, all of the peoples of the earth, that they would come from among all of the nations, that there would come to be people who know and praise and enjoy and fear God, the God of Israel, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one and only true God. That is God's design. That is God's plan. That is God's intention. So again, the question, 
does God bless us ultimately so that we might have or so that we might give? The answer is give. Have to give. God gives us what we have in order that we might give and thus bring glory to His name. And why has God's grace come to you? Why has God's grace come to you? The answer that it may go out through you to others. God intends for a Christian, God intends for a church to not be a cul-de-sac, but a channel, a channel of His blessings. We receive His blessings not ultimately to have them all for ourselves, but to give them to those in need. And that's what this psalm is about. Notice in verses 1 and 2, God's people in these verses, God's people invoke God's blessing for God's purpose. God's people invoke God's blessing for God's purpose. Look again at verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. And then there is the word selah, which means probably is a musical term that means to pause. And so we pause here for just a second and think about verse 1. This psalm is God's people invoking God's blessing. That's what we see in verse 1, God's people invoking God's blessing. And it actually comes from the Aaronic blessing that we find in Numbers chapter 6. This is the blessing that God told Aaron to use when he blessed the people of God, the children of Israel. Listen to these words that God gave Aaron to use. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Do you see really what we have at the beginning of Psalm 67 is just sort of a restating of this blessing in the form of a prayer. May God be gracious to us. And by the way, anytime God blesses us, it is grace. That is, it is undeserved. It is unmerited. We don't earn God's blessings. As a matter of fact, what we earn is God's curse because of our sin. What we all deserve is to come under the curse of sin because we have rebelled against God. And yet, by grace, by grace, we can be the recipients of God's favor, God's blessing. We can have His face shine upon us. But notice verse 2, and notice that verse 1 doesn't end in a period. Do you see that? Verse 1 ends in a comma. It's a pause, not a period, because this blessing is invoked for God's purpose. And that's what we see in verse 2, that your way, God, that your way may be known on earth. 
your saving power among the nations. This psalm is a prayer that God will bless his people. His people are invoking this blessing because they want to make known the saving power of God among all the nations, to make it known. Now, this, again, should remind you of another important Old Testament text. In addition to Numbers 6, which you can't help but think of when you read the beginning of the psalm, there's another text, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, that I think is incredibly relevant and a part of what's being said here. Listen to what God said to Abram when he chose him. It says in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Why did God bless Abraham? Did God bless Abraham and his descendants to have, ultimately, or to give? To give, because he intended for them to be blessed so that they could bless the nations. So that the nations of the earth, the families of the earth, would be blessed through Abraham. Abraham and his offspring. And by the way, that doesn't just mean Abraham's offspring by flesh, according to the New Testament. It means Abraham's offspring also by faith, because we are the children of Abraham through faith in Christ, Abraham's seed. And God intends for us God intends for us to be blessed that we might be a blessing to others, particularly that we might bless the families, all the families throughout all of the earth, all of the nations. I think you can see why many people refer to this psalm as a missionary psalm, because that's exactly what it is. It's a missionary psalm. And so God's people invoke God's blessing for God's purpose. In verses 1 and 2. Then notice in verse 3 what we see. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So this is still a prayer. May be prayed, may be sung by God's people. And what we see here in verse 3 is this. God's people's Passion is aligned with God's purpose. God's people's passion is aligned with God's purpose. What is God's purpose? I'm going to give you a trick question. Hopefully that helps a little. Is God's purpose for his people missions? No, not ultimately. God's purpose for his people is not ultimately missions, it's worship. It's worship. And that's why verse 3 goes on to say, after verses 1 and 2, let the peoples praise you. That's the ultimate goal of missions. 
The title of the sermon this morning comes from the beginning of verse 4, Let the Nations Be Glad, but there's also a book written by that same title by John Piper that I read years ago that shaped, has shaped and stirred my heart significantly in my ministry. And he begins the book like this, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Do you hear what he's saying? The reason we go as missionaries, the reason we send missionaries as churches is ultimately that people might praise God. They must know Him. They must enjoy Him. They must fear Him in order to praise Him. But ultimately, the goal is that God would receive the glory that is due to His name from among all of the nations, all of the people groups on the earth. That is the ultimate goal. I'm going to date myself just a little bit here, but I remember this song from Passion Music that I think states what this psalm is saying very well. It says this, Let worship be the fuel of mission's flame. We're going with a passion for your name. We're going for we care about your praise. Send us out. You should be the praise of every heart. You should be the joy of every tongue. But until the fullness of your kingdom comes, until that final revelation dawns, send us out. Let worship be the heart of mission's aim to see the, the nations recognize your fame till every tribe and tongue voices your praise. Send us out. You should be the praise of every tongue. You should be the joy of every heart. But until the fullness of your kingdom comes, until that final revelation dawn, send us out. Every single Christian should say, God, Send me. Send me out. For many of us, that might mean Jerusalem, where we are. For others, Judea, Samaria, and for many, I pray, the ends of the earth, so that the nations might know Christ. You see, worship should be the fuel for missions flame. The thing that sets our hearts on fire for missions and to take the gospel to the world is our worship of God. We know who He is. We know how great, how good, how glorious He is. And because of that, our hearts are ignited with a desire for other people to know Him, for other people to praise Him and enjoy Him and fear Him. That's the flame. And worship is also to be the heart of mission's aim. In other words, the thing we're aiming at ultimately is that people would worship God. And give him the glory that's due to his name. And then in verse 4, we come to the heart of this psalm. And by the way, you may notice on your outline that the way the outline is done is intentional because it, I think, helps you maybe see something of the way this psalm is really structured. Because there are parallels at the beginning and the end, there are parallels in the as you take one step in from the top and from the bottom, and then in verse 4, you have the center. 
And that in chiasm, which is a literary form that's used in other languages quite often, is meant to draw our attention to the center. Think about, I've, I've said this before to you, what you have here is sort of a hamburger. You've got a bun on the top and a bun on the bottom, but the meat's in the middle. And that's the way this psalm is structured. Everything's important, but the, but the psalm is intending to point us from beginning and end back into the center. And what we see in the center is this, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. And then we're told two things about this God that they should praise. For, verse 4 says, you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. And then there's the Selah. Pause. What is this saying? That the nation should be glad and sing for joy because there is one true God and he is the impartial judge and he is the sovereign king. That's what the end of verse 4 is saying. Verse 4 says, For you judge the peoples with equity. God is the impartial judge. Some translations say you will judge the peoples with equity. So the idea here is probably the future judgment. God is the impartial judge, and there's only one. And on judgment day... God is going to say one of two things to every single person that stands before him. And this would be my way of summarizing it or trying to state it simply. God is either going to say to a person who stands before him on judgment day, your sin will be dealt with. You are condemned. Or your sin has been dealt with. You aren't condemned. Every person in this room, every person in this city, our extended families, all of the people we know, all of the people we don't know, are going to stand before the one true God who is the impartial judge, and they're going to essentially hear him say, you will, your sin will be dealt with. You are condemned or your sin has been dealt with, you aren't condemned. Because those two groups of people have either done one of two things biblically. They have repressed the knowledge of God or they have received the knowledge of God. They have repressed the knowledge of God through conscience or they have received the knowledge of God through Christ. Those are the only two options. And that's the God that we are to proclaim and that we are to praise. <clears throat> but not only is he an impartial judge, he is also a sovereign king. He guides the nations on earth. He guides the nations on earth. What does that mean? I think we have a great hint at what this is talking about in Acts chapter 17, verse 26. Listen to what Acts 17, 26 says about God. And he made from one man, meaning Adam, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries and their dwelling place. God is sovereign, 
over the nations that have existed, that do exist, that will exist on the earth. He is sovereign over their periods, when and what periods in history they were on the planet, and their boundaries and their dwelling place. God is sovereign over these things. Why? In what sense does he control these things? The verse goes on to say that they should seek God. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. In other words, God guides the nation so that ultimately people from among all nations, people from among all families on the earth will seek him and come to know him through hearing the message of the gospel. God is sovereign. God is sovereign in his sending those who have the message, and God is sovereign in their seeking and their receptiveness to the message when the missionaries arrive. God is the sovereign king, and so we should rejoice in him. Then notice verse 5 is verse 3 repeated. You see? We're kind of working our way back out now. We've come to the center, and now we're going to work our way back out. Verse 5, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And again, we see God's people's passion is aligned with God's purpose, like we saw in verse 3. Now, why is praise important? C.S. Lewis put it like this, and I think this is really helpful. I think, he said, that we delight to praise what we enjoy Because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. Then he explains with this illustration. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling each other how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. Do you hear what he's saying? Praise is not just the expression of enjoyment, it is the completion and the culmination of enjoyment. It is the ultimate way to enjoy that which we enjoy, and above all, God. It's important for us as we think about this psalm to know this too. God, because he is the sovereign king over the nations and that he guides the nations, one day there will be people from every people group around the throne of God. Listen to this in Revelation 7, 9. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. It's going to happen. God is sovereign over the nations. He guides the nations. The question is, are we going to be a part of it? Are we going to play a role individually, collectively as a congregation? Are we going to play a role in what God is doing in this world? And then we come to the last two verses. In the first two verses, God's people invoke God's blessing for God's purpose. And now in verses 6 and 7, God's people expect. As they come to the end, they are not just invoking, they're now expecting. God's people expect God's blessing for God's purpose. Look at how it states it in verses 6 and 7. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. 
Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Again, you see the connection? They're going to be blessed. They are convinced of that. They know God will bless his people, but it's for a purpose. That is that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Now, notice the beginning of verse 6. The earth has yielded its increase. It almost seems out of place, doesn't it, in the psalm? That to this point hasn't said anything about material things like crops and so forth. But evidently, this psalm was originally written and probably read often after harvest, especially when there'd been a really good harvest. They would especially delight to sing and to pray this psalm after they'd had a huge harvest. Why is that? What's the connection? Here's the connection. Listen to what Matthew 9 says about Jesus. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's one metaphor he uses as he looks at the crowd. But then he changes. Then he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Speaking of the crowds. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest that he will send out laborers into his harvest. The huge harvest that the Israelites had was just sort of a foreshadowing of what God ultimately intended to do in terms of blessing. God intended for those who have been blessed to know his grace. God intends for us to spread that message to the ends of the earth. But the problem is, while the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. People willing to leave family and familiar and friends, and go and face who knows what for the purpose of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, though, for the purpose of people praising God and giving him the glory that's due to his name. The harvest is plentiful. The workers, the laborers are few. Pray earnestly, Jesus said to his disciples, that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into his harvest field. I referred to John Piper's book earlier. I want to finish by quoting him one more time. And let me just introduce this quote by saying this. As as almost all of you know, certainly, next Sunday will be my last Sunday here as your pastor. And one of the things I've prayed for all through my 12 years of ministry here and have prayed it even more Uh, intensely in the last weeks is that God would bless this church. That God would bless this church. Now, we throw that word around a lot, don't we? Um, As a matter of fact, we use it so often that it's almost come to mean almost nothing. But biblically it matters and it means something. It really does. That God would bless this church. You know, go on social media and you see hashtag blessed. Somebody got a new car, you know, or whatever. It seems like in our culture, blessed is connected with material things. And this psalm doesn't say that it's not got some connection to those things, but ultimately it's about something far greater than that. It's about something far greater than that. It's about people who've never heard the name of Christ. Hearing, believing, by God's providence and sovereign grace at work through it all. 
and worshiping him, giving him the glory that's due to his name. So what kind of church does God bless? The kind of church that blesses the nations. That's what this psalm, I think, makes clear. And so my prayer going forward for this congregation is that God would bless this church, and I can pray that with confidence if this church is committed to blessing the nations, is committed to this ultimate purpose that God has, that the nations would be glad because they know him and because they fear him and enjoy him and praise him. That's God's purpose. Here's what Piper said. Think about this in light of this congregation. If God blesses his people for the sake of the nations, then God is most likely to bless us when we are planning and longing and praying to bless the nations. If God wants his goods to get to the nations, then he will fill the truck that's driving toward the nations. Here's what he means by that. He will bless the church that's pouring itself out for unreached peoples of the world. And the blessing, this blessing is not payment for service rendered. It is power and joy for a mission to accomplish. When we move toward unreached peoples, we are not earning God's blessing. We are leaping into the river of blessing that is already flowing to the nations. That's how you get blessed. You jump in the river, but the river's flowing to the nations. That's how you enjoy God's blessing. The reformers tried to explain what they believed in five statements. And one of them, I think, is the, the pinnacle. Sole Deo Gloria, to God alone be glory. This psalm teaches us God's goal is God's glory. God's goal is God's glory. Now, that may bother people, but it shouldn't. We know we shouldn't put ourselves first, but that's because we're not God, right? So if God's not going to seek his glory, whose glory should he seek? Do you see what I'm saying? God is one who pursues that which is ultimately best, and therefore the only way he can do that is to pursue his glory because that is best for us. That is best for us. Someone might say, can't God give us true and lasting pleasure apart from himself? The answer is no, because there is no such thing. There is no such thing as true and lasting pleasure apart from God. And so God is desiring our praise because simultaneously he is desiring our pleasure because those two things can't be separated. God's goal is God's glory. And in light of that, let me just finish with this. When we have a united passion that is aligned with God's ultimate purpose, we can invoke and expect God's blessing. As individuals, as a congregation, when we have a united passion, when this church is united around a passion that is aligned with God's ultimate purpose, which is His glory among the nations through missions, then we can invoke God's blessing and we can expect God's blessing. Let's bow. Let's pray.
Father, today we, we come and we ask you to remind us that we are blessed in order that we might be a blessing. And I pray, Father, that we would seek your blessing so that we might bless the nations, so that the peoples might be glad. I think of the Yao people that we prayed about earlier and all of the other unreached people groups that they represent. God, help us as your church to arise and help us to take this message to the nations. God, there are risks, there are dangers, there will be losses, and yet ultimately, you will bless those who are going to the nations and churches that are striving to go and to send people to the nations so that they might worship you and give you the glory due to your name. God, you seek your praise because you are also seeking our pleasure. And I pray that today people who maybe haven't even realized that, that those two things can't really be separated, that they would begin to seek you and that you would cause them by your sovereign grace to seek you and find you, though you're not far from any one of us. Cause us, God, to trust you and cause us to serve you as we go forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.